Let me be one of the first to say Merry Christmas to everybody. I cannot believe that Christmas is already just a few weeks away. Thanksgiving just passed. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Is that true? Thanksgiving was awesome for me, sharing time with family and friends, played a little turkey bowl football, went home, had some turkey, and enjoyed ourselves. And it's, uh, it's my prayer this entire holiday season that each and every one of us can feel the true joy and the meaning of the season uh, deep down in our hearts, that we can take this, uh, take this season and really view it through the eyes of a child. And if you guys all have been children here, obviously, uh, you think back to when you were a kid and the special feeling and just the whole aura that Christmas had around it. And it was just a very special feeling that we had. And somewhere along the line, we lose that feeling. And we become adults and things become a little more complicated and a little more commercial. And it's just my prayer that we can get that vision back because I don't think necessarily losing that is a good idea. Now, this season that we're uh, about to enter into is, uh, is a season about the birth of a child, a very special child. And the book of Isaiah tells us this, as we have up on the screen behind us. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And now the birth of a baby is an exciting time, and it's a time to celebrate. And nearly all of us get a little bit goofy and a little bit stupid when we get around babies, right? We say do goofy things, we make goofy faces, and we have fun around children. And it's awesome to see uh, the love that you see between a father and a child and a mother and a child and the bond that they have. And my most recent memory of a newborn, I was just talking to Jacqueline earlier today, uh, was Liam in the hospital. And, and seeing her in the arms of Jacqueline was just this awesome and heartwarming sight. And then I asked Christine, because she's really good with birthdays, so when is Liam's birthday? And it's in January. I cannot believe that Liam's going to be a year old here shortly He's going to celebrate his first Christmas. So it's just this awesome time that we have. And speaking on the whole baby concept, we are going to look into the book of Isaiah today. And uh, we're going to dig into a story of two very different babies. In Isaiah chapter 8, God speaks to Isaiah, and he tells Isaiah, I'd like you to get this scroll, and I'd like you to write across this scroll in very large letters the name of the child that you're going to have. And I've heard some pretty unique names in my life, and I, I've never heard one like this. Um, and uh, I've been around a little bit, so you think, wow, you know, strange names are really strange. And as parents, we really have to think long and hard about what we name our children. And uh, I've got a few examples here that I would not recommend. If I could have the first slide, please. Now, you guys laugh. This is a real name. Believe it or not, the governor of Texas from 1874 to 1895, his name was James Hogg. He named his daughter Ima. How, how do you do that to your daughter? True name. Next. Chandelier. Again, not made up. You guys know the Lear Corporation? The Lear Jets? Bill and Moya Lear named their daughter Shanda. Chandelier. Next. Ronley Bonley Jones. Here's a story for you. True story, once again. Man is born. His mother names him R.B. Jones. He gets old enough to apply for a job. He does so. He fills out his application. He turns it in. The receptionist or secretary takes a look at it as he's walking out the door and says, Excuse me, sir, 
you didn't fill this out completely. You only put R and B for your first and last name. He goes, no, that's it. She goes, what? He goes, yeah, it's R only, B only. As it were to be, R.B. Jones got the job. He received his first paycheck, and it was made out to Ronley Bonley Jones. True story. <clears throat> now, I want you to check out this next name. Give me the next slide. All right. How would you like to have this name? Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Alex, do you got any help on that? That's pretty good, right? Pretty close. I can't even imagine having this, this name right here. It's long, and here's even the more bizarre part. If God gave me this name to name my kid, I don't know, I might be a little bit hesitant. I might go with the Ronley Bonley Jones on that one. That is a rough name. And not only is it long, it's somewhat offensive because the name actually means quick to the plunder and swift to the spoil. And now you got to think, back in the day when this name was given to this kid, names meant a lot more than they do now. It wasn't just a cute little thing you name your kid because you like it. There was significance to these names. So I'm thinking about the fact that everybody would know what this kid's name meant. And so then as the mom was out yelling for his kid, I mean, was she just yelling, hey, plunder, come on in, it's time for dinner. Or maybe the dad says, hey, good morning, quick to the spoil. How would you like for breakfast? Just bizarre name for this child. And the names meant so much back then. Isaiah gets this name to name his child. And then, as, as though this name weren't bad enough, God drops another bomb on Isaiah. Not only does your song have a long, drawn-out name, not only is the name a little bit offensive, but he says, hey, hey, Isaiah, before your son is old enough to even say mommy or daddy, your nation will be plundered and your people will be forced into slavery. Wow. That's pretty uplifting right there. You get a bogus name with a bogus meaning, and now he drops this bomb on you to say, every time you look at your child, be reminded of what I told you. And to say this child came to symbolize the hardship of the Hebrew people is an understatement. Every time Isaiah looked at his son, he was reminded of what God told him. And then as Isaiah chapter 8 finishes, chapter 9 begins, we see that the captivity and hardship that this child represented was more than rough. The Bible tells us that they had no light. There was gloom and anguish, darkness and despair. They were distressed, hungry, thrust into darkness, and death had cast its shadow. And that's not a place I want to be. And I'm very, very thankful that I wasn't there. And then I keep thinking that these depressing words, I think they have a way of describing our existence today without God. I mean, we're not suffering like the Hebrews suffered, but the words, the words gloom and anguish and darkness, despair, they all seem to characterize places in our lives and even places in our world. And it's very unfortunate, but it's true, that most people here in the United States live paycheck to paycheck. One disaster, one catastrophe could be just an absolute disaster for a family. And some people may have already gone through that. Maybe some of you are going through it right now. And Christmas is supposed to be the most joyful time of the year. But sadly enough, it's not. The time between now, Thanksgiving and Christmas, is the time when more people suffer from depression than any other time of the year. And another sad statistic is that between the same time period, there will be more suicides attempted and had during this time of year. 
Most people, when we think about Christmas, we think about happy times. We think about family and friends. We think about sharing hugs and creating memories. But it's not like that for everybody. Sometimes holidays can be very, very lonely and sad for people. I mean, think about the first holiday after the death of a loved one. Very difficult. Maybe the first holiday after a painful divorce. Very, very difficult. And then that family circle is broken. And so is that individual's heart. And some of our family get-togethers can be described as gloomy, tension-filled. Maybe the holidays are a time of just constant bickering and fighting amongst your family. And maybe it's just a time when there's no emotion shared whatsoever. And our holidays can tend to be dark, like the Hebrews' existence prior to the coming of Jesus. But that's where the good news comes in. The good news is that, that out of this darkness, Isaiah proclaims that a child will be born onto us. He's coming with a great light. There's hope, and there's peace instead of desolation and despair, which we talked about with the first child. So the child that we talked about before had this long name, and he brought all this bad news. But the second child to come is the one that bears the good news. And we all know who this child is. A child's name is Jesus. And this Christmas season, moreover, our entire lives should be about Jesus. Our life should have a tag on it that says, it's all about Jesus. And if it is really all about Jesus, what is the it that we're talking about? And that it can be replaced with so many different words. Life is all about Jesus. Hope is all about Jesus. Salvation is all about Jesus. Joy is all about Jesus. Christmas, Easter, peace, everything is about Jesus. And as we learn from Isaiah's child, Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, a name can carry so much meaning, but some things are just too big for words. I mean, have you ever experienced something or seen something that's just beyond words? You cannot come up with a word to describe it. I think we've all had that experience at one time or another. Has anybody here been out west? One person. Wow, the adventurous crowd. You go out west and you see the views out there. They are just utterly spectacular. Not that Cleveland isn't something great to look at. But when you go out west, my wife and I have been out there a couple of times, and we can stand and look at the mountains and the rivers and uh, the, just the rock formations and the lakes and the, the aspen trees in the fall. It looks like somebody plugs them in. And you just stand there what seems like forever trying to take it in. You cannot possibly describe that in a word. You can't even capture it with a picture. And then it just blows my mind that God can take sticks and rocks and dirt and, and, and put it in a way where it's really a mess until he puts his hand on it, and then it becomes the most beautiful thing you could ever see. And we give names to these places like the Grand Canyon or Lake Superior. Now, we happen to live in a town where the lake is eerie and our tower is terminal. That's... It's pretty uplifting, right? So not only do we have horrible sports teams, we also have these very depressing landmark names to go along with it. But names mean a lot to us. They help identify us. And there are people that are way smarter than me, which is not hard to do, that have said that there are over 250 names in the Bible they use to describe Jesus. 250 different names to describe Jesus. And it has to be that way. It makes sense. There isn't a single word that we could utter that would be able to describe Jesus. One name could not express the infinite virtue and worth of his incredible life. 
And Isaiah gives us some names that will help characterize this Savior, the one that we call Jesus. And the first of those names is Wonderful Counselor. And this text, Wonderful Counselor, could actually be translated into a wonder of a counselor. And that word wonderful is very significant because in the Hebrew language, the word wonder was used only to describe something that was humanly impossible. The word wonder was used to describe something that had to come from God himself, beyond human capabilities. So when we think of wonderful counselor, we have a counselor that is so awesome and so wonderful, he only could have come from God. Wonder is something that astonishes people. Wonder was the first emotion that was expressed by the shepherds in the field. The miracles that Jesus performed were wonderful. The patience that he had with his disciples was wonderful. The silence that he was able to have in front of Pilate was wonderful. His sinless life, wonderful. And his death and resurrection from the dead, wonderful. I mean, could you just imagine being with the Israelites when they came to the Red Sea and the Red Sea was parted and they were able to cross through it on dry ground? That would have been wonderful. Or if you remember the blind man in the courtyard where Jesus came and rubbed mud on his eyes and he was given sight, that would have been wonderful. Or when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, who had been dead for days, and he stands there in front of the tomb and he yells out to Lazarus, come out, and he does, that would have been wonderful. Now, I get this very special applewood smoked bacon from my buddy Paul. And I don't get it all the time because it has to be a special thing we have to order in certain ways because we buy it 20 pounds at a time. True. So when he finally does get me some and he brings it over, I grab that slab of individually placed bacon and I think to myself, oh my gosh, this is pure manna from heaven. And then I put it in the oven like I did this morning and that bacon aroma starts to fill the house and I stand in my kitchen and I think to myself, oh, this is wonderful. And this is what Isaiah wants us to understand about our wonderful counselor. This isn't an everyday happening. This is something that is beyond words, the wonder of that counselor. There'll be nothing ordinary about this baby that's about to come. He is wonderful. He has to be. He comes from God himself. Jesus is everything wonderful, no question. But then Isaiah adds a second word, and that second word is counselor. And when I think of a counselor, I think of somebody who's of a higher education that wants to help people, like a guidance counselor, first thing that comes to my mind. And a guidance counselor will take a student and guide that student along the way and steer him in the right direction. And Isaiah calls Jesus a wonderful counselor. So what does that mean? Wonderful, coming from God. It means that that Jesus is the man. He is the BMOC. You guys know what that is, right? Big man on campus. BMOB, big man of the Bible, however you want to look at it. That is God. He is all wisdom. He is all guidance, all direction, all truth, all counsel, and all insight. He knows everything about everything and is never wrong. I want you guys to digest that just for a second. Jesus, God, knows everything about everything and is never wrong. All knowledge of the past, all knowledge of the present, of the future, of all things, of all purposes, all plans belong to him. He knows what's in your heart. 
The book of Psalm tells us in Psalm 33, 11, the counsel of the Lord stands firm forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Could I have slide five, please? You can keep rolling through these. He's a wonderful counselor because he tells us all these wonderful things. In Matthew, he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Next. He's a wonderful counselor because he says, I will not leave you comfortless. Next. He's a wonderful counselor because he says to us, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Jesus is the one who serves as our guide. And a great deal of a counselor's time is given to listening. And Jesus is someone that will hear your heart out and listen to you without tearing you down or making you feel bad or making fun of you. And one of the coolest things about our wonderful counselor, Jesus, is that he's always ready to listen. He's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we don't need an appointment to see him. There is no one that is as wise as he is. No one is as available as he is. And nobody can listen like Jesus can listen. But a counselor is one who not only listens, but goes one step further. That counselor becomes an advocate. And an advocate is someone who stands up for us when no one else can or is willing to do so. An attorney is often called a counselor. And that attorney stands in for his or her client in a court of law. Jesus stands in for us in front of his father. And he does it pro bono. No charge. There is a story about a, uh, a soldier that's in the, uh, in the Union Army, Civil War. And uh, he gets a letter from his mom begging and pleading him to come home because this man has lost his father and his brother to the war and his mom and sister are on the farm alone and they cannot take care of it. And they're begging and pleading, please, come out of the war, come home and help us. So the soldier gets a furlough and he takes that time to go to the White House. And he is going to plead his case to the president to get out of the war. So he starts walking up to the front house, the front door of the White House. And of course, there's guards and soldiers there. And he tries to come in. They say, whoa, what are you doing? He says, I'm here to see the president. I need to talk to him. And the soldiers say, are you crazy? You can't come in and see the president. There's a war going on. Go away. Get out of here. So the soldier, very dejected, very sad, goes to a nearby park. Sits down on a park bench, puts his head in his hands and begins to weep. Shortly after that, a little boy comes up and he says, hey, soldier, what's the matter? And the soldier says to the little boy, he says, well, my father and my brother have been killed in the war. My mother and my sister are having a tough time at the farm. I just want to go home and help them. I need to get out of this war thing, but I can't see the president. So the little boy takes the soldier by the hand and they walk through this park. After a short walk, they come across the back of the White House and they're walking through the White House lawn to the back of the White House. And a little boy with soldier in tow walks right past the guards, right past the soldiers, walks right into the White House and right into the president's office where President Lincoln is sitting there with the Secretary of State and they're going over the battle plans on their table. And the little boy walks up to the president and he says, Daddy? And President Lincoln says, Yes, Todd. He goes, This soldier needs to talk to you. And right then and there, the young man was able to plead his case. That is why Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's our advocate, he stands up for us, he takes our place, and he has the ear of God. Now in a minute, the worship uh, band is going to come back up here. We're going to have a final song. 
And during that song, we're going to have a time to pray. And my challenge to you guys this week is to take the time to meet with Jesus. Sit down with him. Open up your life to him. Tell him what's going on in your life. There isn't any heartache that he can't mend, and there's no problem that he can't solve. He is our wonderful counselor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, gracious and loving Lord, it is our prayer during this season, Father, that you fill us with the Holy Spirit, that the joy of this season just overwhelms us uh, to the point that we're overflowing and we just need to share that with other people, Father. We pray, Lord, that we are open to you, that we come to you as our wonderful counselor, as our guide, Father, that we can take those life lessons that you show us, apply them to our life, Father, and become the man, the child, the woman, the father, the husband, the brother, the sister that you've designed us to be. All these things we pray in your most precious name. Amen.